much younger man's game Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. That is American Aquarium losing side of 25. I know a lot of y'all can relate. <laughs> I'm Cable Smith, by the way, and getting old sucks. But hey, that's part of life. There's no way to avoid it. Just got to work smarter, not harder as we age. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm so glad that y'all are here with me today, as we've got a great show lined up for you. And here's what we're going to do. Off the top, a Texas two-step and tail for the ages. Uh, very rarely does a hunter or outdoorsman, or anyone for that matter, get to see a mountain lion in the wild? And no, we're not going to talk anymore about my mountain lion story. You guys have been there, done that, um, which was awesome to be able to share that with you. But uh, today, we've got a special young lady who one-upped me, that is for sure, uh, taking two Texas mountain lions on the same deer hunt. Yes, actually even saw a third on that hunt. So, uh, Jamie... DeRuin will be here in just a little bit. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to hearing how this hunt played out. And when I saw that picture on social media, I was like, goodness gracious, how awesome is that? Uh, just a chance encounter. But you got to make the shot, and she did it twice. Uh, so Jamie will be here. Then we'll spend a couple segments with our old friend and lifelong hunter conservationist, Ivan Carter whom I caught up with at the Dallas Safari Club show last weekend. It was great seeing a lot of y'all out there, by the way. Uh, but yeah, Ivan has some stuff uh, kind of tugging at him that he wants to share regarding uh, conservation issues that you might not be aware of. Also, the changing perception of hunting over the past 25 years. Uh, it used to be a badge of honor to call yourself an elephant hunter or a, a lion PH. Uh, now pretty much frowned upon, and uh, we'll discuss why and, and how that has transpired here with Ivan. Uh, lots to get into with Ivan. It's going to be great. Uh, then we'll wrap up today's broadcast by heading down to the Texas coast and talking a little redfish and trout with Captain Lynn Gerard. Uh, so all you saltwater guys, uh, you'll get your fix in today as well. That is what's on the docket for this morning's broadcast, it's going to be uh, it's gonna be awesome. How could it not be? We're talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies. So pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos because we're about ready to rock and roll. Uh, before we take a quick break, however, let's do a giveaway. Let's do a little giveaway. How about a Stealth Cam DS4K? That's a $300 trail camera for anyone out there wondering what that is. It's uh, Stealth Cam's top-of-the-line unit and the only trail camera on the market offering 4K video quality. Uh, third person to text in the word Stealth. That's Stealth to 214-289-7807. We'll hook you up with the DS4K. Let's take a quick break. We've got a lot to get into, and I want to make sure we have plenty of time to cover all our bases. Up next, we'll Texas two-step with a couple of mountain lions as Jamie DeRuin recounts her hunt of a lifetime right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. 
Hey, it's Justin at DontTradeItIn.com. Have you ever felt like you didn't get enough for your trade-in at a car dealership? You probably didn't. Trade-ins usually become inventory, and most car dealerships are like other businesses. They want inventory costs to be as low as possible. DontTradeItIn.com buys vehicles for more, guaranteed. Are you worried about mechanical and or cosmetic issues? Not planning on replacing your vehicle? No problem. We'll still make you a cash offer. DontTradeItIn.com even buys customized, off-road, special interest, classic, and exotic vehicles. Head over to DontTradeItIn.com, answer some quick questions, and you get a cash bid on your vehicle in no time. DontTradeItIn.com or call or text us at 469-300-9669. Again, that's 469-300-9669. A rock steady point. A covey rises. Over-unders ring out. Cable here for White Rock Upland Birds, an outfit Bell and I have hunted with many times. Whether you bring your bird dogs or use their polished pointers, hunting quail and pheasant on the White Rock Trophy Ranch is an experience to remember. Located 45 minutes from TFW in Italy, Texas, White Rock will waive the $150 guide fee if you mention the Lone Star Outdoors show. Plus, save $25 off any package if you bring your own dogs. So grab your buddies and shotguns and call 972-880-9068 today. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. No time for coffee because the sun will be coming up soon. And we've got to get a move on before these birds start singing their tune. If you're low on cash, don't speak it. If your job is a grind, don't let it show. Leave it at the front gate. One of my favorites there from Justin Bowerman bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show. I'm Cable Smith. Uh, i tell you what, those are words to live by. When it comes to the great outdoors, uh, you got to let everything else go and just be thankful for that time spent in God's creation. And uh, for a lot of us, that is our sanctuary. Maybe uh, you skip church on Sunday and you find that peace and that connection with your creator while you're uh, in the woods or, or on the water. I know I do, although I, I do try to get in that pew as much as I can. Uh, I do want to say thanks to our presenting sponsors today, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. We are all set to hear a hunting tale for the ages. And uh, I don't know what it is about mountain lions, and this is not my story. I know uh, probably many of you have already heard my journey when it comes to chasing cougars through the mountains in Colorado uh, for 18 days. Uh, But a young lady that we're about to visit with has her own story to tell. But before we are joined by Jamie DeRuin, 
This segment is brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land is the one thing they aren't making any more of, uh, but everybody wants it. So you know what to do. You give Lone Star Ag Credit a call. They'll help you finance your piece of Texas. They've been doing it for over 100 years. Needless to say, they've got the experience and track record to help make your dream a reality. Check them out at LoneStarAgCredit.com. All right, uh, let's go ahead and bring on our first guest today. Uh, This is a tale of two lions, which is uh, very out of the ordinary, and we're going to get into it now with Jamie DeRuin. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. How are you? Doing well, and it looks like you're doing well also. I uh, saw you You got a nice buck to close out the season. Yes, we did. We, we were there for about a week and a half and um, had, a, had a really good time hunting. It, where is there, by the way? We were actually in Comstock, about well, 30 minutes past Del Rio, uh-huh. west of Del Rio. Have you been a hunter your entire life, or is that something you picked up uh, more <laughs> recently? Um, I would say for about 20 years I've been hunting. Um, my father tried to get me into it, but I, I, I couldn't quite get into hunting when I was younger, but, um, in my twenties, I, I really got into it with my ex-husband and, um, since then have just continued and I love the outdoors, love hunting, love fishing, you know, anything yeah. we can get into. And so <laughs> what is your favorite thing to hunt? Uh, whitetail only because I have the most experience. Um, yeah. access is always a, a plus. Um, and most recently, mountain lions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's what I wanted to get so. into today. Uh, going back to early December, you're sitting in your, your deer blind at your deer lease. I guess you were sitting there waiting for Big Boy to step out. Yes. And... <laughs> I, I actually, uh, I was sitting in the sand, you know, it was still dark outside. Uh-huh. And I saw what I thought was, you know, maybe a snake something it was already too cold so i was wondering why there could possibly be a snake um but then as it got more light uh as you know when you're sitting in the sand things play tricks on you and you think you're seeing something that you're not Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden um a buck started walking out from the right side on the side of my stand and was walking towards this area and then all of a sudden that that mountain lion came out from the bushes and that's when i realized it was cat and not snake or any other thing because um, all I could see at that point of course was the tail <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, it, it walked out and it started stalking that buck and it was an immediate reaction for me it was grab the gun put that down um, that it was a nice buck not one that we were going to shoot this year but you know sure. a growing buck and uh, <laughs> for, this is like all happening at first light obviously like you said um, mm-hmm. had, had you ever seen a mountain lion on your trail camera or anything like that? Never. Um, in fact, this is a, a year round lease that I have. And, uh, we were, we've heard that there were cats on the property. Mm-hmm. We've heard that people have had them on the cameras. We have never had one on our camera. Wow. Okay. So this was a complete surprise for me. And no, I have never seen one in, in real life on my cameras ever hunting anywhere in Texas. Sure, sure. Well, and they're they're so. still very rare in Texas, but they're becoming more common. And and most of the ones that end up getting shot are either by by a deer hunter who's sitting in their stand, and and here comes a mountain lion. And who knows how many times these cats do that when we're not sitting there? They probably make a habit out of it. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, and then you know they still catch some in West Texas with hounds. Um, 
but they right. are but they are increasing their range uh, south anyway in, in that neck of the woods where where your place is. Uh, so okay, so you you get the gun up. What caliber are you shooting? Uh, Thirty out six. Uh huh. And you shoot this Eight. cat. Um, did it anchor it immediately? <laughs> uh yeah. As soon as I shot the the cat fell. Um, it was over. But as soon as I shot that cat, um, I guess her sister came walking out from the opposite direction, and it was almost <laughs> you know that's when I, that's when I realized that those two cats had been watching that deer long before I ever saw that deer. Sure. And so they were on either side of it. And when that other one came walking up, I took the second shot um, on the second mountain lion, who was actually walking towards, I guess, her sister, uh-huh. and um, took that one down. That one ran about uh, 20 yards, I guess. Wow. And then dropped. It's so, crazy that the cat came out after you shot. Uh, oh, I know. I was I was surprised that it didn't run the opposite direction. And, in fact... After shooting the second one, that's when I saw mom in the background up on top of the hill. She turned around, took off. She was gone. Wow. Okay. Um, so I didn't realize you even saw mom. That's uh that's Oh, yeah. Incredible. Wow. It, that, that actually scared me because I was getting out of the stand later on. <laughs> and let's just say I waited a bit longer to get out of the stand once my hunt was over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're by yourself. So, huh? Yes. This time I was by myself in my stand. Uh huh. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and my boyfriend Steve Cooley, he is actually, um, he actually has the lease, and he was over in another stand, and he had asked me if I was seeing anything through text message, and I told him all I could write was cats. <laughs> <laughs> he thought it was a typo or something, and after I took the second shot, I said, he said, "Was that you?" And I said, "Yes, babe. I I, I just shot two cats." <laughs> He's like, what? Did he think in bobcats so, at that point? He was a little confused, and then when I clarified that it was mountain lions, he didn't believe me. Um, and he said, can I come over there now? And I I quickly told him, no, the hunt wasn't over. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the first light, you know? I still had deer that I wanted to watch. Sure, sure. And since so. you saw both of these cats fall, uh, mm-hmm. uh, th- that would be a little more uncomfortable getting out of the blind if uh, if they hadn't. You know, uh, right. But since right. you saw mom, and I understand uh, someone else close to you or on the lease or uh, neighboring property somewhere actually ended up getting the mom. Yes, it's two other gentlemen that, that hunt with us on the same lease. Uh, Josh and AJ showed up a couple days later after asking us repeatedly, "Did you get the mom? Did you get the mom?" And they ended up calling her in. Um, they got there at nine o'clock at night, and she was on the ground by nine thirty. Holy moly! Yeah, they called her in from from our dump area where the carcasses are. That's where she was actually at. And the, and the great thing about this, for, for everybody questioning people who do shoot mountain lions, uh, in weeks leading up to this, we had several instances where things were taken from our skinning rack, where, you know, guts were always taken out and removed and put at the dump. But if anything was left over, any bones, any legs, whatever, uh, she was there. And we heard growling at night. We heard strange noises for a long time. And since then, we haven't had any issues. So. <laughs> oh, wow. That was too close to home. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, so that was on, like, December 9th, I think. Um, yeah. While you were doing that, I was in Colorado uh, getting my own mountain lion. So it's, it's crazy. But, uh, yeah, it, was not, it awesome. wasn't the uh, same situation, though. <laughs> No, oh yeah. No, no. I mean, we were hunting. You know, we were using dogs. Um, 
but uh but but yeah that that line that I ended up getting had killed two foals in the last three months, so it was uh, uh same situation landowner wanted it gone to say the least right here's the interesting thing the mom is sitting there observing it i mean essentially watching her uh, they're not kittens they're they're not huge, but you know they're old enough to be hunting on their own. it looks like so she'd turn them loose mm-hmm. and say, here, go do your thing and sitting there supervising right. so are you getting these things full body mounted um after hearing the prices on them, I <laughs> mounted one, uh-huh. <laughs> and I did a rug with the other one. Awesome. So, yeah. And I got the skulls back. I actually went and picked them up today when I dropped my 10-point off, and I got the skulls back, and we're probably going to mount those two together on a plaque. Very cool. So, Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I encourage <laughs> people to check out the picture. We've got it posted on our website of Jamie with uh, her two mountain lions. You know, I've been uh, doing the show uh, about nine years, I think, now, and only one time have I ever read or heard about a hunter taking two mountain lions on the same hunt um, without dogs. <laughs> and it was uh, a guy in Oregon was, was bow hunting. They were archery elk hunting and were mm-hmm. doing some cow calling. And they, they called in a mountain lion. And the guy, he shot the mountain lion in the chest uh, with his bow. When they went to recover it, they found two dead cats. And the arrow had passed through the first one. And there was another one behind it. And he just killed them both. Um uh, now that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And he only had cool. one he only had one tag. And so they did the right thing. They called the game warden. And the game warden mm-hmm. he stepped up and, and he said, You know what? This is an incredibly rare encounter experience, what have you. And he let his other he let his buddy tag the other one. So they he got to keep them both. Um but, oh, that's neat. but very, very unique situation to to even see a mountain lion in the wild is uh mm-hmm. is such a rare encounter to have two come into your, your deer feeder and then see a third on the same hunt is, uh, I, I can't say I've ever heard that. So, uh, very, <laughs> very rare and an awesome experience, yeah. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was, I was doing quite the happy dance in, in my stand afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of deer saved too. So, uh, yeah, well, definitely. Last thing I'm going to ask you is if, did you try to eat any of it? Um, we actually donated that to, um, a wolf. My my mom actually rescues wolves, and uh-huh. so every bit of that meat went to her wolves. Okay. And she actually feeds them a raw diet as is, so that saved her a ton of money on on their diet. Sure, sure. Um, but no, I personally, and you know, yes, people will complain about this, but I personally cannot eat a cat. Yeah, yeah. Well, I smoked one of the hams for a bunch of people. They came over for the cowboy game. Uh, about a month ago, and and it wasn't bad. It was uh, it was a lot better than Bobcat. I'll put it that way. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah, Bobcat, not well, good. I'm we glad tried to hear. eat that, but man, no, mountain lion was kind of like pork. So I'm sure it made those wolves happy. Huh. Dogs hate cats anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. well, maybe next time if I ever see a mountain lion again, uh, maybe we'll try it out. Yeah, kind of like wild pork, I would say, a little chewier. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, congrats on uh, a heck of a season, and thank you so much for making, making time for us today, Jamie. Thank you for having me. You have a good day. There she goes, Jamie DeRuin. I tell you what, uh, while I would never trade my experience of my own mountain lion adventure for anything, I sure wish a couple would just walk out in front of my deer blind. There's no doubt about that. What a cool experience. Uh, we appreciate her time. Uh, that segment brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. 
the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to thank every one of you guys and gals who came out to Legacy last weekend. It was one hell of a good time celebrating hunting and conservation. Uh, I had a blast meeting so many of you guys as well, uh, shaking hands and, and talking a little hunting. So thanks for making it a point to uh, to say hi. And of course, if you want to get plugged in with DSC, just uh, check out the website. It's biggame.org. Continuing with the DSC vein here, uh, I was taping interviews like a madman out there. Next, I'm going to air what I think is uh, such a very important conversation with a man who is perhaps the greatest conservationist uh, on the planet. He's certainly in the conversation. Up next, we sit down with the great Ivan Carter, right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Welcome to Texas. Don't anybody get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. We're glad y'all came to see us. Now don't forget to go back home. Hey y'all, Cable here for my good friends over at Outlaw Outfitters. This veteran-owned and operated outfit will put you on the ducks, to say the least. I've been hunting with them for, gosh, four or five years now. They also do uh, deer, hog, and turkey as well. They have over 15,000 acres they hunt in Collin, Grayson, and Fannin counties. Whether you want to do a turnkey, you know, one-morning waterfowl hunt, or a complete weekend package with authentic Cajun cooking and lodging, it's all right there within an hour of the Metroplex, and you can find them at huntoutlaw.com. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit bobcatofdallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. From the Turnpike Troubadours, Unwrung, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here today as we are rocking and rolling, about to talk conservation, all that implies, with Ivan Carter, longtime professional hunter and conservationist, uh, someone that I really respect. And and so when Ivan sent me a private message uh, a couple weeks back asking if he could come on the show while we were at Dallas Safari Club, I was blown away uh, to have him want to come on. Obviously, he had some things uh, tugging at his heart that he wanted uh, this audience, you guys and gals, to hear about. So, uh, by all means, I said, of course, Ivan, you know, uh, bring the recording equipment up to DSC uh, Legacy last weekend, and we'll knock it out. Uh, so, we're about to air that discussion here momentarily. But first, this segment of the presentation 
is brought to you by Horizon Firearms. Y'all have seen my custom 7 mag. I've been toting around uh, not only North America, but Africa as well here over the last couple of years. It's a tack driver. Absolutely love that gun. And, well, they made it to my specifications exactly how I wanted it. They'll do the same for you. So if you're interested in that custom rifle build, or maybe you're looking at a semi-custom or just need your old tack driver rebarreled, go to horizonfirearms.com. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and dive into it here with Ivan Carter. Like I said, uh, we taped this last weekend at Legacy 2018, uh, the show of shows, my favorite hunting convention every year. So uh, let's go ahead and, and take a listen to that conversation uh, because I think it's a very important one. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. Some of the things that you've mentioned to me uh, and, and something that I think a lot of people have been asking you lately is if you are getting out of hunting. No, absolutely not. In fact, you know, Cable, one of the things I don't think that you 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 hunt for a living. I, I think hunting is, is what you are. It's It's not just what you do. And so... Absolutely. I'm doing a lot less professional hunting because I've got very engaged in conservation work. But my mission now is, has really changed quite a bit. And one of the things that I'm trying very hard to do is to prove that hunters care. I think we've done a bad job over, over time in showing what conservation initiatives as hunters we prepared to get engaged in and also just showing the real conservation that happens through hunting and so that that's a pretty much full-time job getting engaged in that so yeah i absolutely guide a lot less <laughs> but i'm by no means not 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 engaged in the in the in the pursuit so yeah yeah and someone asked me they sent me one of those hate messages on instagram recently and oh no i get those a lot and they said uh why did you kill that poor animal and i said one of the things that I said in my response to him, and I rarely respond, but I felt like this was a younger a kid. And I said, I, I refuse to suppress my primal instinct as a hunter, like so much of modern society. You know, I think Cable, it, I am. It, it even goes further than that. And I think that that's where we've got to be so careful with the messaging because it's a very, it's a conversation. It's not a soundbite. Sure. And I think that if people realize just how many million acres, millions of acres of Africa are utilized by hunting, um, I, I think that they would probably think twice. But by saying no to hunting, you're also saying no to literally millions of acres that support hundreds of thousands of animals. And there's so many great success stories out there. And I think that we've just got to make sure that we, we support the sustainable ethical hunting and hunting that leads to conservation. I mean, that's super important to to make sure that it's sustainable and ethical. And as long as those two words are in front of the word hunting, then absolutely it's a good thing. That's one reason why I like the new uh, DSC Foundation campaign, We Hunt for Life. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure you've seen that. They've been very provocative uh, in kind of being more aggressive with that message. And, and they have a huge billboard here in downtown Dallas. Takes absolutely. Up a whole I've side seen of it. Building. I went and saw it the other it's day. It's freaking absolutely. awesome. No, it's yeah. great. It's yeah. great. And I think that, you know, what people don't realize is that I'll give you a great real world example. A lot of concessionaires as a result of the closure of, of lion imports into America, which, to be honest, a lot of the anti-hunters were, were very excited about that. They thought that that was a big win. Unfortunately, it wasn't a win at all for lions because yeah. millions of acres of western Tanzania, the business model was no longer sustainable. Outfitters were forced through the breaking of their business model to hand their concessions back to the government, and those areas were left empty. Empty areas 
you know, people came, moved in with their cattle, the lions ate the cattle, the people poisoned the lions. And so, to be honest, the poaching is off the chart in those areas that were actually very well looked after. And the lion population, you know, in some areas has almost been eradicated. In other areas, you know, 10 times the number of lions as would have been taken by hunters have been poisoned or killed by snares or, or, or you know, speared to death. And, you know, that really is literally as a result of the closure of lion hunting. And, and I think that that's a really sad, unintended consequence. And I wish more people understood what the consequences are of a closure like that. Sure, you know? sure. And it's so simple to, and it's cliche to say, but if it pays, it stays. And uh, you talk about the those people that are poisoning the lions. I, if I was in their shoes, I'd probably do the same thing. You know, on Instagram today, I actually uh, – uh, somebody allowed me to use one of their photos it was on the edge of a national park in 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 india and it was a a, a series of photos that they had taken very recently of a tiger killing a cow now there's no one in our world that would argue that a cow is more important than a tiger right but what if you own that cow mm-hmm. and what if that's all that you owned all of a sudden You'd yeah. rather just see that tiger gone, whatever that takes. And so I think that that's a perspective we've got to keep in mind. You know, the, the greatest threat to wild lions, the greatest threat to our wildlife is not hunting. It's really habitat destruction and it's human wildlife conflict. If a lion eats cattle, that lion one way or another is probably going to die someday. Yeah. It's going to get poisoned. It's going to get speared because cattle are their wealth. Yeah. And anybody gets into your wealth, you're going to want to see it gone. You yeah. Know, well, and here's an example in my life in the last month. I did a mountain lion hunt. It was my third time. I've let females go in the past. We went to a ranch where a lion had killed two foals in the last three months. And as these lions age, they say, you know, they get a taste for livestock. They're probably going to keep doing that. It's easier for them. So the deal with the rancher was if it's a male or female, the lion goes. If you're going to hunt my property and so, you know, we, we caught this female, and uh, the outfitter said, if you don't shoot it, I'm going to shoot it. So the lion's going to die, and that's kind of where I was at this crossroads. of. I ended up saying I don't need to see two lions die. You know, you don't need to kill this one and then me have to go hunt another one. Absolutely. So I feel like we did the right thing from a conservation And, you know, standpoint. I think that that's where it's all about perspective. And I think that, you know, one of the things we've got to do as hunters is really promote the idea of uh, hunting as a conservation tool. I don't think that we can ever make somebody understand what drives one to get out there and, and, and want to go and take an animal. You, you can't explain that. But what we can very elegantly explain is the conservation that comes from that action. I hate to say it, but I, hate, I, I really dislike it when people say, I'm going to Africa because my hunt will pay for a school or uh, I'm going to dig a well with the money from my hunt. That's not the reason you go to Africa. You go to Africa because you love the pursuit. The benefit of you being in Africa is these other things. Right. But they're the benefit. They're not the reason. Right. And I think we've got to be very clear about that. And so, you know, I've been in a situation which is a little different to probably a lot of our, our listeners and viewers at the moment in that I've been the guide. And so huge volumes of conservation dollars have flowed through me. But I've very seldom been on the front end of the hunt myself i've been leading the hunt and so that puts you in a very different situation and you know like like a lot of things in life it's about perspective and so my perspective is as a role player within the business model of conservation not just on vacation that happens to be a hunt and so i've seen it from every side that said i've also been on a guided elk hunt i've been on a muskox hunt i've seen how the conservation model works and so i've played at every every angle of it and i think that it, it well when used well is an incredible conservation tool it yeah. really is yeah. um 
why are you supporting initiatives that have nothing to do with hunting these days? I think that that goes hand in glove with what I just said. Right. We have to show the world that we care, that hunters really care, and it's profound. And we do, from the bottom of my heart. Of I course. care about animals. Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you some of our initiatives that we support that have got nothing at all to do with hunting. We support very heavily the Giraffe Conservation Foundation. Now, nobody's going to argue with you that one of the most iconic species from Africa is a giraffe. What I bet you didn't know is that they've gone extinct in seven different countries in Africa. I didn't know that. There's, there's populations of giraffe in West Africa where there's less than 500 individuals. Not one in a zoo, not one in captivity. Five That makes them rarer than the rarest mountain gorilla. But people don't know that. If we can have a hand in bringing those animals back, if we can have a hand in helping to preserve some habitat from some of the most iconic species that ever, ever walked the planet, should we not be doing that? Yeah. It's not whether or not you hunt. It's whether or not you're a conservationist. And at heart... Hunters are generally conservationists. Absolutely. And so by getting engaged in these initiatives, we also support a, one, one of the largest primate re rescue rehabilitation centers in, in Congo. And what that does is, is we go out there and we take primates from the exotic pet trade and rehabilitate them with a view to release in the future. Now, what has a hunter's got business doing that? But really, it's because we care. And someone needs to do that. And those places are so often under-supported and underfunded, that you've really got to stretch a little bit and, and get out there and do these things. And, and it's a way to really make a profound difference. It really is. Yeah. Well, so you're not guiding as a PH as much. But you're, and, and it's weird because I've, I've followed you uh, since I started this show eight, nine years ago. And your career has gone in that direction of, of just almost pure conservation. You, you told me you still guide. And, and you know, Cable, there, there's, a, there's a few things that we, are really... What I was going to say is we need, we need that. We need people like that. Uh, you know, It's there, imperative. There, there's a few things I'll, I'll, I'll say in answer to that. One's got to get priorities right. I've got, I've got young kids. My kids are seven and six years old. I can't guide a full season, do a full year of conservation work, and create a TV show. Uh, the thing that's going to suffer the most is my family. Right. So, you know, family has to come first. And then, you know, one gets really drawn in when you feel like you can make a difference to something in the future. We're not just creating entertainment. We're not just out there trying to feed the family, although that's a very important pursuit. And I don't decry anybody who's doing that. But when you have an opportunity in front of you to truly make a difference and make the world a better place, that's a really fulfilling thing. And you can get addicted to that and actually end up spending more and more time doing it. So I probably spend <laughs> a good 200 days a year catching giraffes, moving giraffes, helping with anti-poaching, you know, rhino initiatives, helping with, you know, the, the chimpanzee thing that we're engaged in. Yeah. It, it's a full-time job. Absolutely. It really is. Um, how has the landscape changed, let's just say, over the last 25 years um, from someone who's, you know, just take – the mindset of the American hunter who comes to Africa and then the opportunities that are there because there's a lot more game. South Africa is the prime example, uh, but there's more game there for sure. That's a, that's a really cool question. I, let me start from the perspective of the pro and anti hunting debate. When I got into this industry, being an elephant hunter, being a lion hunter was something to be extremely proud of. You would sit on an airplane and someone would say, you know, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a professional hunter. And that was something that, wow, tell us some of your stories. People would get their mounts back from the taxidermist. Their neighbors would come and look. Yeah. Over the last 25 years, there's been this very slow, gradual shift until obviously the 9-11 the of the hunting world was Cecil the lion. Yeah. And we all realized how much of the world was anti-hunting. And today, 
I would bet there's very few hardcore hunters that would openly at a mixed group or in their businesses say, well, I'm about to go to Africa on a lion hunt or I'm about to go to Africa on an elephant hunt. And I think that that's the most, um, the, the biggest change that I've seen is the public perception of hunting. And I think, to be honest, hunters have got a lot to blame for that. Um, we can't get away from the idea of just posting trophy photos yeah. as opposed to educating story. the world on what good has been done out before that photo was taken, what actually happened, the benefits of what that pursuit is. Uh, I think that that's generated a lot of negative, negative feeling towards sure. it. And I think the other thing is 25 years ago, social media hadn't, it wasn't even a twinkle in anybody's eye. Yeah. And so nobody had the voice that they have today. Today, whatever you and I are thinking at that moment, we can tweet it out there. We can support anything. We can we can start an initiative that generates tens of thousands of signatures for or against anything that we dream up. And signatures are what change policy. So for the first time ever in history, your average guy walking along the street doesn't have to lobby, doesn't have to hire a lobbyist. They can motivate through social media change in policy. Sure, sure. And change in policy is the greatest threat to the conservation through hunting model because very often it doesn't take into account the conservation initiatives that will be broken by the change. Sure. So that's the one that that's I think the greatest change. Okay, and I think that's a great place for us to work in a quick break. I know there are some other concerns Ivan as far as the uh, exploding human element as our population uh, continues to blow up at an alarming rate. Uh, that's going to have a profound effect on wildlife. And then uh, I want to talk about your anti-poaching efforts and the raindrop initiative, among other things. Uh, that segment brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. If you're looking to change the game under the cover of darkness, check out Pulsar's lineup of thermal and night vision optics, and you can find it at PulsarNV.com. We'll be right back with more from hunter conservationist Ivan Carter on the Lone Star Outdoor Maybe Show. Maybe it's all that I got. Maybe it's forever. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Hey, it's Cable for DontTradeItIn.com. If you've got an old four-wheel drive vehicle that you don't need anymore, or you want to upgrade your daily driver or hunting rig to a newer one, DontTradeItIn.com wants your vehicle running or not. Their purchase process is quick, easy, and painless. Answer a few questions and get a cash offer in no time. They'll beat CarMax and dealership buy bids, guaranteed. Head over to DontTradeItIn.com or call or text Justin at 469-300-9669. That's 469-300-9669. 
Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my Custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. One of my favorites there from Billy Joe Shaver, Thunderbird, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players. We are firing on all cylinders here today, uh, diving into our discussion with hunter, conservationist, and my good friend Ivan Carter, an interview we taped at Dallas Safari Club's convention last week. But before uh, we get back into that discussion, this segment of the show is brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, Available this hunting season in the Lone Star Beer camo can. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. All right. Uh, well, Ivan, you know, before the break, we talked about a lot of stuff, uh, but we kind of wrapped it up with how the public perception of hunting has changed in recent times. You know, where 25 years ago, you were proud to call yourself a lion hunter or an elephant hunter. Today, uh, You'd be hard-pressed to want to divulge that information in, in a group of people that, you know, you, you don't know very well. Uh, but let's let's shift gears here and discuss the human element as the third world continues to explode. The other thing that's alarming is the volume of people on the earth today. I can remember at school, you know, really being shocked by some of the numbers. Well, today there's, you know five times the number of people on earth as they were when I was it's at school. Gonna keep going. It's going to keep going up. And so there's places where as a kid, you would never even see a human track where today there's not a single square foot of forest where it's just people. You know, the human element is growing at such an explosive rate. And I think that, you know, for whatever reason, political correctness or whatever, no one wants to address that. Everybody wants to go and help the third world yeah. without addressing the speed at which the third world is expanding from a human perspective. So as the human element expands... It's not something I've, we've gotten into before. So. No, and it's, it's so poignant. Yeah. Every wildlife issue that exists today exists because there's too many humans. Yeah. There's too little area for the animals. Or they're getting poached for food. Or a million tons. Imagine a million tons of bushmeat was taken out of the Congo Basin last year alone. That was a WWF statistic. So that's 500 miles of semis, nose to tail, full of poached meat. That's how much that is in one calendar year. That's incredible. That's now, when I was a child, there weren't enough people to eat that much. Today, there's not enough meat for the number of people that live there. Right. And so that shift is the greatest shift. And so I think that as we look at conservation initiatives, the initiatives that are sustainable are the initiatives whereby the community is engaged and puts value on a living animal, not value just on a dead animal. And so here's another thing I'll say, Cable. Appreciating just the beauty of a wild animal, any of these animals in our background here, you know, appreciating just the beauty is a concept that can only be understood if you've got a full belly. 
Because if your belly's empty, you just see the food. I'll tell you another really interesting little fact. In most African languages, the name for wild animals is nyama. Directly translated, that means meat. So if you wanted to say to somebody, is there a lot of animals in that national park? The literal translation would be, is there a lot of meat in that national park? So what does that tell you about the culture who only look at the hoofed animals as meat? It doesn't matter whether it's a buffalo or an impala, it's nyama. Yeah. yeah. And so... That's take, like how it was here 300 years ago. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And so including the, the conversations with community into our solutions is absolutely crucial to sustainable solutions. So if you were to say to me, within your foundation, what are you striving for? We're striving for operational effectiveness on our quest for sustainable African solutions. And if we can just be effective in that quest and truly find sustainable solutions, solutions where the communities end up protecting their own wildlife because they've got a sustainable offtake. Which like they, can they did in Tanzania before the lion yes, uh, yes. issue there. Then we've got some hope of our children enjoying the wildlife that we enjoy today. Yeah, Interesting. And, and I want to go back to one thing you said about uh, you're talking about social media. And I have a, a good personal friend. He listens to the show every week. He will know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about him. Uh, he shot a lion two years ago. Never once has he put that lion on social media. He does. Only his close friends know that he shot it, because his wife is terrified that uh, anti hunter would get a hold of it and and something bad could happen to their family. And that's sad. For me, I'd be proud of that. From a business standpoint, as an outdoor show host, trophy pictures great. I like to tell the story. Obviously, that's more important uh but for someone to not even be able to feel like they could share that is uh it's it's sad to me and so cable here's here's my feeling on the trophy photo thing if he were to take a picture of a wild lion and post that and say this is a lion very similar to the one that i took the one that i took generated this amount of money which led to this amount of anti-poaching which led to this amount of secure conservation that led to these following initiatives there's going to be a whole lot less negativity sure. than just a photo of the king of beasts with right. his tongue hanging out saying, look at me, this is my lion. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where our messaging has got to change at grassroots level. We've got to be willing at every corner to educate because the, the conservation integrity is being eroded as these areas or species close. Yeah. And so very often when you look at these these things it doesn't matter if the world sees that he killed a lion but if he wants to go and post that picture of the live lion and explain what happened yeah i think that now all of a sudden you've got a very good conservation starter a co conversation starter from a conservation perspective not just from a trophy perspective sure you know the word trophy uh i was telling you earlier i had an interesting conversation with shane mahoney about a month ago and uh, we, he kind of took us back to the historical start of that term, which he said was, you know, early 1900s. It meant, you know, the days of Teddy Roosevelt, a, a selective hunter, a hunter that waited for a mature male and took an old mature animal. Now, so, so here's a term that used to be a positive thing. Now it's such a negative. I mean, you say that term and people cringe. Absolutely. And, and I think Cable, again, should we shy away from that word as hunters? 
So a smart sailor adjusts his sails as the wind blows. If we're really smart, if you've got a business that you realize there's certain things going on that aren't working for you and other things you haven't been doing that would work better for you, you're going to lean in that direction. We can continue to talk about trophy hunting and continue to show pictures of dead elephants and lions. We already know what the effect's going to be. We know that. Every smart person walking around in this room here at the Dallas Safari Club convention will understand what's going to happen. So if we're hard-headed about it, we're just going to speed up the decline. Or we can say, you know what? That's not a very well-accepted term. Yeah. Let's avoid that because of the inflammatory effect that it has. And there's I used a, to embrace the term. I used to yes, just absolutely. tell you because I said, I say, you know, I like horns on my wall and I like a freezer full of venison. Absolutely. Eat, I don't ever, you know, hunters know. And, and that know. freezer full of venison, let's be honest, is part of the trophy. Yeah. Well, that is a trophy too. It's worth, if, if I shot an elk, the first thing I'm taking is the back straps, the, the hindquarters, the, the harvest, and then I'm going to be going back for the head. That's the last thing. In some absolutely. states, in the in some states, you can't take the head first. And I think that's a, that's a great law. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, as you said, the term trophy meant selective. We all pride ourselves in being selective, looking for an old animal beyond breeding and, and all the rest of it, which comes back to the old idea of sustainable hunting. And I think that the word trophy is something that that I personally, I have no problem using the word trophy because a trophy hunter, there's nothing in that which would suggest that everything else is not used, yeah. particularly in the third world. But remember, I come from the third world. So I've seen that every mouthful gets eaten. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter hardly what species you take, every mouthful gets eaten. Yeah. You know, And so really when you look at it, I, I think that there's a lot of words in the English language that were very acceptable a decade ago, 50 years ago, that today would either be offensive or whatever. We've just got to find some middle ground. And I think that, you know, we're talking about humans there and we're very often talking about educated humans, even though we don't always <laughs> act like we're educated. I think that cable, you know, we've got to look at this and go, okay, there is a time and place to talk in a, in a way and there's other times and places where that's, that's, that's not the way. Yeah. And I think that first and foremost, being ready to to educate people at it. I mean I get hate mail to this day oh, and yeah. my Instagram feed is full of conservation and I still get hate mail yeah. so I'm not going to win those people and I don't care because we're never going to get them anyway right, right. and they're, they're what I gone. care deeply about is the effect that they the negative effect they can have on real conservation initiatives and that that's where I that's where I get mad you know well, yeah so so talk about uh, I know you touched on it briefly but just some, some of the goals um, concerning your your new endeavor here. Uh, so and I I'm, think, and I'm looking at. Uh, I don't know how big these these traps are. They're giant. No, they're huge. And they're huge. and I assume that those that once belonged to a poacher. So that's an interesting little deal right there. We'll we'll get one and show the audience in a minute. But um, these these are gin traps that were lifted by an anti-poaching team in Qatada 11 in Mozambique. Um, that we helped to fund that team. And so what we're actually doing right here on the booth is we're taking donations for the trap. A lot of people have said we'd love to have one in our trophy room. Mm -hmm. It's a way of donating money to anti-poaching. You get to take the trap home, and we want to get a donation that will cover two days of anti-poaching from each trap that we brought over. I mean, they're heavy things to bring over. Yeah. So it's not free to bring them over, but nevertheless, it's a, it's a very tangible effect 
of what anti-poaching dollars can sure. achieve. It, it's a trap. It's like a snare. Okay. Yeah, go and grab one. Go and grab one. Let so me, look at me, that trap. Yeah. I mean, look at this thing. So some guy has literally taken a car spring and he's beaten that thing out of a car spring. Now, one thing out It's heavy. I mean, that, that's probably every bit of 40 pounds. Oh, yeah. Now, one thing I'll tell you, that trap doesn't care whether it's a male that walks into it, whether it's a female, whether it's old, whether it's young, what species it is. That trap will absolutely close on the foot of any single animal that goes past it. And the poacher will arrive, he'll take the animal out of the trap, and he'll set the trap again. And so something like this, or a wire snare, is the most indiscriminate way of killing wildlife. That you, it's, it's totally non-selective. It'll yeah. kill whatever walks into it. And this is the demise of Africa. But now, if I were a guy who didn't have an alternative way of feeding my family... Different perspective. I don't care. Yeah. Cruel or not, I want to catch an animal because that's how I'm going to eat. There is a big difference, Cable, though. The guy that's poaching to feed his family is a different guy who's poaching to sell the meat as a commercial poacher. And neither are better than the other. They're both poachers. But nevertheless, you can have a, a, a sliver of empathy for the guy who's trying to feed his family. I, uh, I do have empathy for that guy. Yes. You cannot just go and simply say, you're not allowed to poach, stop right now, without offering him a sustainable solution. Yeah. So if you have a hunting concession and you're telling him don't poach, but we'll give you the meat from the hunts, you have a sustainable solution. Without the hunting concession, just saying don't poach, it, it, it's difficult. It's a lot more difficult conversation. And so that's where we were getting into a little earlier about including the community's wants and needs and actually mentality into our solutions. If you include the community in a way that they truly benefit from poaching less, then you've got a sustainable solution. And so, you know, getting back to what your question is and, and what, what my goals are, I would like to, very simplified, use animals like the giraffe, like the chimpanzee, like the rhino, as an excuse to bring people together to secure large landscapes for those things to live in. If we can secure a large enough landscape for the giraffes to live in, for lions, for rhinos, for, for chimpanzees, the bugs that live there, the birds, the plants, the whole ecosystem has to be healthy. Nobody's going to give you money to save bugs and birds. There's a lot of people that will give you money to save rhinos. And if you have to save rhinos, you've got to save a territory for them to live in. And to save a territory that you're going to live in, by default, you're going to save everything else that lives there. Oh, yeah. And so I, I guess, simply put, preserving landscapes is where it's at for me. Okay. Um, and, and if I'm going to use a giraffe or a chimpanzee as the excuse, as the driver, as the hook, that that's what's going to happen. But what I'm hoping is that the hunting community will really get behind some of these initiatives and we can show the world that we really do care, that, that we're prepared to stand for what we believe in. We're prepared to pay for anti-poaching. We're prepared to secure large landscapes and pay for the running and protection and maintenance of those landscapes. And so, yeah, that, that's something I'm very, very passionate about. So how can the average guy that listens to the show or just average guy like me, uh, how can we help support that? So we've got a, an initiative that I call the Raindrop Initiative, which you can find on, on raindropinitiative.org. Mm -hmm. What it is, is it's on the premise that raindrops are the bringer of all life. Cable, I think we can agree on that. Oh, yeah. A tsunami is possibly one of the most powerful forces on Earth. And what makes up a tsunami? Water. Raindrops. Yeah. So what I ask people to do in the Raindrop Initiative is to give me the equivalent of one luxury cup of coffee every week. Four or five dollars a week, 20 bucks a month. 
but I want them to commit. No to Starbucks on Monday. I think no we can Starbucks all, maybe on Monday. Not Monday. Maybe Wednesday. <laughs> now let's not say Starbucks because then they're going to hate me too. <laughs> but if we can get people to give me twenty bucks a month, uh-huh. but to commit to two years of doing that, if we can get enough people to do that, it's very difficult to take a one-time donation of a thousand dollars, deploy that, and get out there and find the next lot. I would rather take a hundred dollars a month for a year than $1,200 in one check. Sure. And what we'll commit to is never using that money for development. We're going to use it to support what I call life costs, which is food, water, shelter, protection. That's it. And as soon as we've covered the life costs of an anti-poaching team, we'll cover the life costs of a rhino orphanage or the life costs of a chimpanzee orphanage or the life costs of a giraffe researcher or the life costs of a lion researcher. And so what ends up happening through the Raindrop Initiative, I like to say we're going to put a tsunami of conservation across Africa with thousands of little raindrops adding to that and able to watch what their dollars can do when coupled with everybody else. And so the reason we chose 20 bucks, I'd love to get more, but the reason we chose 20 bucks is I really believe that that's probably an amount that someone could afford to put into something that they really care about their children seeing in the next generation. And if enough people do that cable, I really believe it's gonna, it, it'll make a difference. And so, you know, you go to the raindropinitiative.org, it's all really easily set up. You put your, your credit card in there and, you know, put five bucks, 20 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever you, you like to commit to for, for, for ongoing and commit to a couple of years. That, that I really believe can make a huge difference. Raindrop initiative, okay. Awesome, awesome. And um, as far as your own uh, personal um, website, social, how can people follow along with Ivan Ivan.Carter Carter on Instagram. Um, I'm, I'm probably more active on Instagram than anything else these days. Um, I've got Ivan Carter's Africa on, on Facebook. Um, and then IvanCarter.com. And IvanCarter.com, you can find everything that you need to know on there. Um, it leads out to, to all of our foundation websites, the Ivan Carter Wildlife Conservation Alliance, Raindrop Initiative, all of that stuff there. But as I say, um, Instagram is, is the one that I'm posting on a lot these days. It seems to get the best delivery. And, and we've got a good little Instagram community going on. We put some interesting stuff out there. Oh, yeah. It's not all my own stuff. <laughs> it's, it's often stuff that shows off an initiative or shows off a need or, or whatever. But that's Ivan Carter. Or, you know. or, the re- or reality. You posted a really honest video of... Uh, it, to me, I, I don't know much about like aging lions or looking how healthy they are, but it looked like a sick male lion yep. attacking a Cape buffalo, and then he'd get knocked down. Looked like he was dead. He'd get yep. back up. He and, died in the end. And, yeah. and you know what? It, it's but that's reality. That's that's, that's reality. nature. I mean, and that's, and that's what I try and do at I, Disney. Absolutely. So you know, if you follow at Ivan Ivan dot Carter, you're gonna see that stuff. I put some humorous stuff up there. I put, I put quite a bit about my kids' cable, and the reason I do that, my kids are one of my most driving forces. It's super important to me to do a great job today so that as adults, they're going to have giraffes and elephants and rhinos and lions to look at and pursue if they want to. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'd love them to turn into hunters. I'd love that. But I want them to be sustainable, ethical hunters, and I want them to be able to do that because we do such a good job of conservation today, and I think that onus is on us. Yeah. Any single person that's got a child looks into their child's eyes. We want them to see the stuff that we love. And I love wildlife, and I want my children to see lots of it. So, Awesome. Well, I certainly appreciate it, Ivan. Uh, it's great, as always, to see you here at the Dallas Safari Club show. And uh, I, I don't know what the future holds for you, but 
I know it's going to be bright and it's going to be full of conservation. So well, I appreciate it, and you know, I'm yeah. grateful to to what what you've been able to do and what you're continuing to do here. Well, I appreciate that very much, Cable. And, you know, we get great support from the Dallas Safari Club Foundation and, and many of the people walking around in this hall. And, yeah, hopefully we make them proud with what we do with their money. So. All right, brother. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. There he goes, our good buddy, Ivan Carter. Uh, always great talking. Well, really, I could just listen to Ivan talk for days uh, and never get tired of the conversation. Uh, but certainly on conservation issues, he is – the authority, in my opinion, um, when you talk about Africa and relations with North American hunters and sustainable use hunting, uh, nobody knows it better. He lives it day in and day out. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas premier seed company, offering anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including... The Dr. Deer backed Buck Forage Oats. Check them out at senderoseed.com or call Rob Hughes at 1 877 610 Seed today. Well, up next, we head down to the Texas coast. We'll discuss how Hurricane Harvey has revitalized uh, an already vibrant fishery, and we'll do that with Captain Lynn Gerard right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean, just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields, or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, threecurl.com to book your next hog hunt. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hey y'all, Cable here for my good friends over at Outlaw Outfitters. This veteran-owned and operated outfit will put you on the ducks, to say the least. I've been hunting with them for, gosh, four or five years now. They also do uh, deer, hog, and turkey as well. 
They have over 15,000 acres they hunt in Collin, Grayson, and Fannin counties. Whether you want to do a turnkey, you know, one morning waterfowl hunt or a complete weekend package with authentic Cajun cooking and lodging, it's all right there within an hour of the Metroplex, and you can find them at huntoutlaw.com. The south coast of Texas, that's a thin slice of life. It's salty and hard, it is stern as a knife. Where the wind is for blowing up, hurricanes for showing, snakes how to swim, and the trees how to lean. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Getting a little help there from the great guy, Clark. South coast of Texas, one of my favorites. As uh, we're all set to head down to the coast, talk a little saltwater fishing with our old pal, Captain Lynn Gerard. But before we do that, I do want to remind you, when you do land that 30-inch trout or that wall hanger bull red, you know who to call. Rustic Reminders Taxidermy, Josh and Becky. Yeah, they've done all of my big game mounts, but they also specialize in fish reproduction mounts. I've got a 30-inch trout from Corpus Christi Bay on the wall right here in the studio. Becky did an amazing mount. Best part about it, we let the fish go. That's right. Took measurements, took pictures, sent that to uh, Becky, and boom, got my trout on the wall. They'll do the same for you. Check them out at gr8mounts.com. That's gr8mounts.com. All right, uh, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest. He is one of our oldest and dearest friends, joining us live from the Texas coast. Captain Lynn Gerard, thanks for being here. Well, we're still alive, Cable, and we're not, we didn't freeze to death, so we're fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, I got a press release from Texas Parks and Wildlife last week uh, about some uh, mandated closures for fishing because of freezing temperatures. They said it was too easy to catch trout and redfish, and so they put a moratorium on saltwater fishing for a couple days in certain uh, places yeah all my spots <laughs> they did every one of them wow wow but it was okay it was too cold anyway it was, too, it was uh it was crazy though because right when they lifted that that ban the fishing ban on the whole areas it was like it was insane we went out and the water was crystal clear and we never did freeze yeah the fish weren't disoriented or anything because we had a lot of wind, and I think the wind kind of kept it from freezing over and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there were so many redfish. It was crazy. Well, let me ask we you this, a- because uh, I found that interesting for them to close it. How many guys are actually going to be out there in sub-freezing temperatures on the water? I mean, few and far between. So is it really that big of a deal? I don't know. It just seems like the number of guys fishing would have um, – you know, circumvented whether or not these fish were easier to catch or not. It would have. Well, I don't think it was that. I think what happened was back in the was it the early '80s when they had the freeze, uh-huh. a similar similar type freeze that a lot of the fish were disoriented. They were on top of the water, and people were going out and just netting them. You know, just one after another. There was so many fish, and they were like swimming upside down and sideways and everything else. And they were they were just like totally disoriented. All the giant trout and redfish mm-hmm. and and whatnot, and people were just going out and just filling their boat up, of course, you know, and, and, you know, just raping the area, and so I think they were afraid that a similar problem would have happened, and which it didn't, but I guess it was a precautionary measure. Sure. How long, Captain Lynn, I know you're originally from California back in the day, but how long have you lived on the Texas coast? 25 years. How many times probably. have you seen them close the, the fishery due to cold weather? 
zero. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like a you know a generational occurrence. It doesn't happen very often. No, That's but incredible. uh, yeah, it's not comfortable when you're fishing in that you know in that type of weather anyway. I mean, we're not used to it. I, the funny thing is, you get all these guys from Wisconsin and Minnesota and and you know all these winter Texans that come down and and they go, oh, we love this weather. This is like summer to us, and it's like. It's like 30 degrees, and I'm going, well, yeah. not to us. Well, they're used to ice fishing, and they've got, you know, yeah. a lot of them have a little hut, and maybe they're drinking a cold beer while they're they're sitting there yeah. with a propane yeah. heater, and it really isn't that cold. I'm not saying that they're not hardcore, but, you know, they've got they've got it figured out for sure. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, they get, they get just as cold as us, I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, once your hands get wet, I mean, I see it all the time, oh, duck hunting, miserable. when it's that cold, and it's just, it's miserable. You know, yeah, it's, we're but, just not it's not built for that kind of weather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no pain, but no pain. Uh, I'm not going to quit duck hunting for a little cold weather. But uh, yeah, that's true. but so yeah. you said lots of redfish were in. How how's like, the bite? Water, the water went down. We had such high water for so long after the hurricane. It was from you know over a month that we had super high water. It was so high that a lot of people couldn't rebuild their docks for the ones that were destroyed and stuff. And um, and it was just the fishing was crazy. We caught so many different species that were abnormal to our water, like the snook. We were catching lots of snook, mm-hmm. and uh, which is hard to get a keeper because it, the the uh, the slot is 24 to 28 inches, and it's you know we got quite a few. They were right around that 22, 23 inch category. The beautiful fish. Oh yeah. And uh, you know I've actually never caught a snook. It's on my bucket list, but. You know, they don't, like you said, they're typically not in, in that area where you fish. No, there's, there's some, they, they're farther south. Of, yeah. I always hear like guys that dive around the jetties and stuff over here in Corpus that they only see these big schools of snook, but you know, yeah, yeah I, just, I take it as a grain of salt because we never catch them, but this year we caught quite a few. Yeah. And uh, we, had, we had black tip sharks that came in schools and they came into Laguna Madre all around the, right around the, um, causeway pier and then you know right along that uh, kennedy causeway bridge now that was weird hmm. you know they weren't giant but they were still there were some you know 20 26 28 inches you know and there were there were some big ones in there involved but a lot of little ones and that was weird and just i guess that and we caught a lot of jack crovels and and different types of snapper that came in after the hurricane and just catching all kinds of crazy stuff yeah but uh Water seemed like it just like recycled itself or something. The water was different, hmm. and the and the currents and everything. But right now the fishing is just awesome. It's like crazy good. We the water dropped and like I said, those redfish you could have thrown a hot dog out there and you just hooked up. They were just like feeding like <laughs> like maniac. What it is, I think the cold did drive a lot of those schools of redfish into that deeper water around the canal areas, uh-huh. and they were just lazing in that deeper water, huh. and there was hardly any bait. Yeah, and Captain Lynn, you know, we we go back to uh, Hurricane Harvey and its disastrous effects on humans, but a lot of times these natural disasters, they occur every, you know, so often, and they revitalize uh, an ecosystem or a fishery um, by bringing in new water or, or opening up uh, new pieces of land. You know, there's various ways they do it, uh, but you've, you've, I mean, seen it yourself, the fishing's been great since the hurricane. You can just kind of feel it. I mean, when you're out in the water, it's just like it's so much energy. It was just it, it was crazy, you know. Of course, you see all the debris and stuff. We didn't get hit that hard in Corpus. I mean, you know, a lot of roof problems and, and fences and stuff, but we didn't, you know, not like Port A and and uh, Rockport. 
and they're still suffering right now. They still, because they had so much of that black mold when their electricity was down and stuff, all the hotels and stuff are closed down, but all Corpus is open and Corpus is just about to totally filled up for, from now until spring break, probably. Yeah. You know, with all the, with all the usual winter Texans that are up north of us. After this last cold front, now, you know, the fists start moving. That internal clock tells them to move. So now we're starting to get a lot of those sheephead, the big sheephead, the, what they call the, Poor man's lobster because they taste so good and stuff. People <laughs> don't like them because they're hard to clean. But of course, we have a fish cleaner that loves to clean fish for money, so we're he's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And all the and all the drummer moving in and the redfish, like I said, are just stacked up and it's just really a lot of fun. Of course, yeah. you got your big trout too. So. Well, so what are you catching these big trout on at the moment? Right now, a lot of corkies. We're using a lot of soft plastics and the the um the darker color sometimes and a lot of, um, you know, chartreuse still just about anything right now, but you got to look for the bait because the bait does migrate out just like any other fish is, you know, when the water gets so cold, the mullet will just be, you know, they'll just disappear. So you actually don't even want to, you want to kind of keep your eye out and you want to find the bait before you even start fishing. Cause once the bait's in the water, you're going to, you know, catch fish. Yeah. But as for, as for the migratory fish though, now they're just heading toward the Gulf. I mean, we can just we just fill the boat up right now with uh, with your black drum redfish and and I love to target the trout right up you know early in the morning. Yeah. So it's it's a it's actually one of the best times to fish ever is right about this time. Now it's now we're back into the 70s and it's just it's comfortable and it's really cool out there right now. Well, so let me ask you this: going back to the soft plastics, what shape? You know, what soft? You, you mentioned the colors, but what soft plastic are you actually having success? A, of course, it's going to be a slow retrieve. And you want to kind of, you don't use a real heavy, I use like an eight ounce jig head and, and you just, uh, you just, you know, you, what you do is just experiment. And when you find one that works, a lot of chartreuse colors and, uh, they have all these new, the, um, the jalapeno, I think is the one that was, that had worked the best. Now that's a, it's a, it's a different one. Mm. And a lot of guys are using these voodoo shrimp, okay. which is, uh, yeah, I'm familiar with those. Yeah, those aren't used those, and some of them even have a rattle in them now, and and so it's it's uh, pretty cool. And the shrimp, of course, we're using live shrimp because most of the time that we use, we don't just use you know soft plastic and stuff. We use the and the shrimp are huge right now too. So it's uh, if you don't catch any fish, you can always eat your bait. So you're. You know, <laughs> well, I've never gone with you and not caught fish, so I don't think that's an issue. Uh, no, and the shrimp are more for the redfish and black drum. Yeah, and um, actually, it was kind of funny because when we were catching them on on the surface and stuff, I was going to H E B and I was buying these Argentina shrimp and using them for bait, and they were just just about the same price as you find them on sales as the you know the fish as the shrimp you buy in the bait shops that are you know because a lot of times you just use dead shrimp, mm-hmm. and for some reason they just took off like wildfire, just the color of them or something. I don't know what it was. But uh, it was funny because everybody would I'd stop fishing with the live shrimp. And I go, okay, we're going to put these shrimp on. They're looking at me like I was really weird. They're, I'm taking out this H-E-B bag and I'm pulling out these Argentina white shrimp. And they're going, the captain uh, always oh, knows best. And I go, we can always just boil them when you get home if you don't want to, you know, if you don't want to fish with them. Oh, geez. But, um, but right now I think it's, it's, it's just an impressive time of year because we caught so many of those Jack Gravel we were catching and, and they're in the water and, and it's just really kind of cool right now. But especially the, you know, of course, the black drum is one of the best eating fish there is. And 
and with the sheep head and the black drum and the and I just love targeting the trophy trout and the trout are so fat right now. It's just like they're they look like footballs. They're just so you know so in such good shape. And and of course everybody's after that big trophy, that thirty you know thirty plus inch fish. They're all you know that's the that's the big call right now. You know let's get our big trout. And so yeah. time. Yeah. And that, that's great news too. And I don't I don't know when duck season is duck season. We got another week left. Is it? Uh, a couple weeks, yeah. A couple yeah. weeks left, and the ducks are, you know, they moved down too. So we're still shooting ducks in the morning a lot of times. Uh-huh. And um, yep. so even the birds, even get a lot of different species of birds after this weird winter. Well, <clears throat> unfortunately for you guys, a lot of folks have been so frustrated with the pintail redhead bag limit of, you know, one pintail, two redheads this year, yeah. and then boom, you're done. Uh, with yeah. the pintail limit being dropped. but The biggest population are redheads in the world right here in the Corpus area. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're like bats. There's so many, mm-hmm. and uh, like you said, you know, you just gotta, you know, you just gotta. I don't know how they how they do their numbers or anything like that. I, right now, towards the end of the season, though, we're still we're picking up widgeon now, and and uh, a lot of spoonies, of course, those northern spoonies. They're pretty too. Those northern spoonies are. I mean, they're not the most favorite bird for everybody, but and the teal. At the end of the season, we get a lot of different species yeah. moving around. So. Yeah. Well, so but, if someone wants to book a trip, Captain Lynn, uh, where can they find you? Well, they can find me right here in Corpus Area, North Padre Island. I launched at a private dock, and we have our own little secret honey holes. If you mention cable, you get your you get your discounts. Captain Len, Captain spelled out, CaptainLensFishing.com. Perfect. And you'll find me on there, and you'll also find me on Facebook under just under Len Gerard. I, I write a lot of stories. Yeah. And, they're and don't get confused because Captain Lynn is he's having a hard time with the social media stuff. <laughs> and he has a Captain Lynn's fishing guide service page, which I've been trying to get him to use for like eight years, but he always posts on his personal page. So send him a friend request and uh you can follow along as he updates it you update it just about every day, so um yeah. folks can see what you're catching on there. But Captain Lynn, I know you've got to get back on the water and we certainly appreciate your time. Always great talking a little saltwater fishing with you. All right, Cable, thanks. All right, our old friend, Captain Lynn Gerard, giving us the lowdown, the what's what on the coast. And that segment was brought to you by Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner and enjoy Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. Well, just looking at the old clock here, it is that time, friends. we got to go. Got to get out of here. do want to say thanks to each of our guests, uh, Captain Lynn, also Ivan Carter, and Jamie DeRuin. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Still doing time in a honky-tonk prison. Still doing time where a man ain't forgiven.